Hello, and welcome to the Be Well and Thrive podcast with me, your host, Dr. Bill Rankis of Movement First Physical Therapy. My goal is to provide you with access to providers, trainers, coaches, dietitians, and influencers in the triangle area so that you can get a glimpse into what they can offer and hear their point of view on health and wellness. So, I hope you enjoy, be well, and thrive. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me and following along. It means so much to me that you have been listening along to these podcasts. If you do me a huge favor, uh, subscribe and rate the podcast. That way I can help promote the podcast to more people in the area so that they know where to go when they need help with this, that, or another thing. Again, it would mean so much to me if you could just either subscribe so that you don't miss and so you can continue to hear awesome conversations with different providers and different influencers and coaches, as well as rate the podcast so that other people in the area have a chance to be exposed to it and so that they can be exposed to the amazing minds that I'm speaking to. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Bill Rankis here with Movement First Physical Therapy. I am joined today on Be Well and Thrive with Dr. Mike Harris of Carolina Family Practice. And uh, he has been a wonderful person to me in my career as a physical therapist as well as with my health. Uh, he is a graduate of NC State in the area for undergrad and for graduate school and, and for med school ECU. And then he was he was torn back to Raleigh to work at Carolina Family Practice specifically because he believed so much in in that practice. Uh, Mike, Dr. Mike, thank you so much for uh, joining me. I appreciate your time. And what I'd like for people to hear is just a little brief introduction into yourself, what makes you you, and then also a little bit about what brought you into healthcare. What made you want to be a, a physician? What made you, you know, get to where you are today? Well, uh, absolutely happy to be with you, Brett. Bear, sorry, Bill. Um, it's, uh, you know, you've, uh, you've been wonderful to work with in the past as well, too. And I know that you're doing a great job, even though you're not across the hall from me anymore, man. Um, but uh, no, I'm, yeah, originally from Raleigh. Uh, grew up here, you know, went to uh, Sanderson High School, then went on to NC State. Um, you know, my parents are from Eastern North Carolina. So I did a, my med school down there. Uh, when I was down there, I met a woman crazy enough to want to marry me. Uh, and she's actually a local pediatrician here now. She's from Raleigh as well, too. Uh, so we decided to come back, set up shop in Raleigh. Um, I had previously worked doing an internship with uh, Carolina Family Practice and Sports Medicine, you know, 10, 12 plus years ago. Um, so all of my partners, the guys that I work with have known me for a really long time and I've known them too. And so honestly, what really brought me back to the area, I think was kind of two things. One specifically, I love this community. I love this area. Uh, I'm passionate about the triangle area of Raleigh. I wanted my kids to grow up in the area. I wanted them to, um, you know, experience a lot of the same uh, value that I had growing up in this area as well, too. Um, and then joining the practice that I joined, they were just very, very uh, sort of similar mindset. Um, you know, as a practice, we're set up as a, you know, primary care first. So sort of our base is pretty, you know, hardcore family medicine sort of stuff. And then uh, obviously we layer on sports medicine on top of that, which is obviously where you and I have crossed paths in the, in the past with, uh, 
you know, working with a lot of, you know, non-operative sports medicine, primary care sports medicine patients. But uh, I've also had the good fortune in this area to work with uh, some of the professional organizations. Um, one of the, the docs that helps out with the Carolina Ballet. Uh, I'm the medical director for North Carolina FC football club in the area. I'm the team physician for Wakefield High School. Um, and our practice also works with the Hurricanes and the Carolina Courage and you name it. I mean, we pretty much do it in the area and we absolutely love it. So just wonderful people, really, really good way to sort of, you know, get, you know, grow roots in the area and, 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 and stay passionate about what we love. That's awesome. That's so it's incredible to, you know, and I know your passion for your average Joe's and your skill that you can definitely take care of the people who are, you know, in the professional realm. Um, you know, one thing, my experience with you is, is yeah, that passion as well as um, your ability to kind of just keep it real and, and, and care about your patient. Um, <clears throat> so I'm curious as to, you know, what, draw drew you to towards sports uh you know i know you do have the primary care and we'll definitely get into that what drew you towards the sports side of things did you play sports or was there anything involvement there that made you kind of feel like you wanted to get involved oh yeah man that's pretty much all of us did i mean i think i think you know every single one of my partners all the all of our associate docs every single one of us are former athletes you know we uh spent some portion of our formative years injured or uh you know in need of some medical assistance or physical therapy or training or whatever it is so uh i think it's pretty pretty organic i guess you could say you know <laughs> that that that, that kind of came from it mm -hmm. but uh um but yeah i mean it's i mean especially in regards to primary care medicine i mean you know in the context in which which we practice we like to be able to have um kind of a, an approach to the, the entire patient. And, you know, we do, you know, all the standard, you know, physicals, all that type of stuff, med management. Um, I mean, I've got a background in some pretty hardcore medicine stuff, uh, lots of cardiac issues, diabetes, blood pressure, you know, kidney issues. Um, but to be able to layer on top, you know, I mean, everybody has aches and pains. Everybody has stuff that sort of you know, kind of getting in the way of, of what it is that they want to do. And I think that kind of you and I probably share that same passion for getting them a chance to do it. Yeah, absolutely. What do you feel like is some of the most common issues that you hear people coming in complaining about, whether it's, um, you know, the 30 year old, 30 something old mom, or, you know, who's got young kids or whether it's the older, older mom or dad who has, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're getting towards that end of career age and, and sure. kids are leaving the, leaving the nest. What, what kind of things are they dealing with? I think on the front side, you know, we get a fair amount of overuse injuries, you know, uh, you know, patients that are, you know, trying to maintain whatever level of activity that they've had for so long, you know, maybe, you know, kids are on board, they've taken a time off, time off, they're, they're, they're training for, you know, a half marathon or a triathlon or something it is that they want to keep doing, um, something that they're passionate about and that we know is going to help with their mental health and physical health and everything. And uh, so we see a whole bunch of the overuse stuff, you know, patellofemoral pain issues, IT band syndrome, um, gluteal low back issues, you know, all of the, you know, the foot stuff, uh, you know, heel 
plantar fasciitis, um, a ton of that type of stuff. Of course, we have a lot of guys that are still trying, you know, especially in that age, you know, lift weight, stuff like that. So, you know, we see some of the overuse stuff in the shoulder um, back area as well, too. Um, you know, on the other um, end of the spectrum, uh, obviously you got people that are just trying to, you know, do everything they can to maintain mobility, you know, maintain, uh, they want to be able to, you know, play with their grandkids. They want to be able to take walks around the park. Some of them are still playing tennis and golf and stuff that, 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 that we want to do too. So, mm -hmm. um, a lot of arthritis in that point, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, knee issues, hip issues. Um, so we have the opportunity to, to hopefully intervene on a lot of those things, whether it's with, uh, you know, solid home exercise therapy program that's designed by our uh, staff athletic trainers or to obviously work um, closely with somebody like yourself and, uh, you know, hopefully get the best outcomes we can without necessarily having to have people go under the knife all the time. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of therapeutic injections, things like that as well, too. But, uh, you know, pretty much whatever it takes to keep, keep, keep people out there, you know, let them stay as healthy as they, as they want to, as they want to be, you know? Yeah. Keep them, keep them doing the things that they love doing. I mean, that's why they come to see you. It's, it's, you know, they say, you know, a lot of times people will come in and say it's a pain that they're dealing with, but in reality, it's the fact that they can't, go and go for that run which helps them you know basically decompress after a long day of work or you know just relax and, and have their own time and so yeah it's so important to be able to you know on your side be able to bridge that gap whether it's with injection or or with your athletic trainers or or like you said kind of really giving that strong recommendation for them to get further assistance um what? Well, I, t I tell people a lot of times, I'm like, if I were to come to you and tell you that uh, I got a I got a treatment for you that will help control your blood pressure, reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, <laughs> help you sleep at night, reduce stress, um, you know, uh, maybe even, you know, help out with things that are important in marriage, sexual performance, whatever it is that, that that's, uh, you know, and there'd be like one treatment, just one treatment. Yeah. You're like, yep, just one treatment, man activity you know yeah. if we can get you going if we can get you moving we can get you doing that stuff that's right um it's better it's better than any pill that we yeah. can prescribe so we know I, that man side effects of sweat fatigue a little bit of uh momentary fatigue and and uh, a little bit of effort yeah that's that's yeah good. i love it i love it that's great i'll have to use that um one thing i know you do is and, I, and i'm curious how you kind of got to this within your practice uh, I always value how you kind of allowed, allow your patients or, or you work with your patients. You kind of um, get their side of kind of the side of the story as well as side of kind of what they're looking for and um, how they want help. Um, and so I'm wondering how you kind of started doing that and how you got to involve your patients in their own care. Um, you know, yet again, I think this is probably a pretty organic process. Um, you know, um, to some extent, I think a lot of us, you know, if you were to take any of us that's been practicing for any, you know, period of time, you know, we're probably some sort of an amalgam of all of the training techniques and, and, and clinical techniques that we've seen, you know. Um, I think anybody that gets to this sort of point in, in their life, you know, in, in any background, whether it's, you know, pharmacy, physical therapy, 
um, you know, occupational therapy, doctor, PA, I mean, we all are, right? So um, you, you kind of take, right? You cherry pick, you know, little things you like, little things you didn't. Um, uh, you recognize, you know, things that really work and things that got along or got across to people. But um, I think the one thing that I, that I really, really, really enjoy uh, and I find most patients do as well too, is, you know, getting a chance to actually build a relationship, you know? Uh, I mean, I want to know who you are and, and, you know, what's important to you, you know, what are your goals and, and, and what is it, was it going to take to get there? And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, building the relationship, the relationship part of primary care medicine is, such a therapeutic tool. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I only know one way how to do this. I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I'm kind of, I'm kind of old school in the way that I, that I think, you know, uh, I enjoy getting to know people. I I really like hearing their stories. Uh, I kind of like sharing mine as well too, you know, I mean, a little give and a take there. Um, but you know, when the patient comes back to see you, you know, it's kind of like a homecoming, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that construct of trust and comfortableness, you know, uh, I think is incredibly valuable to, to individual patients and, um, you know, they're, they're willing to, to work with you. They know that you, that you care. I mean, you know, I tell people all the time, I mean, like even kids know if you're sort of fake, you know, (laughs) I mean, kids can tell, right. They're pretty smart, but, um, kind of everybody can and 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 you can't come from that place you you have to be willing to to put forth a piece of yourself in what you do and so i i've even been told in the past by certain people uh that i was definitely a little different than other doctors that they've come across and i don't know if that's good or bad i'll leave that up to the individual person as to whether they like it or not but it's kind of just how I roll. It's what I like. I mean, I don't feel like I can effectively do my job unless I know more about you. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's huge. Uh, knowing who a person is, where they're coming from, what their family life is like, what their values are. And I mean, you can do that. Yeah. With a, with a very quick conversation and, and just caring, like you said, um, I, unfortunately in the health field all around, it's kind of people are starting to feel more and more, um, I guess, less and less human and more and more like a number or just another statistic. And uh, sure. I think what you bring to the table and what I try to bring to the table is that, that human element of, you know, how was your day? How was your family? You know, um, you know, what's, what's new in that realm? Cause that can also tell you stuff too. Uh, like yeah, you, said, you can't treat them to the best of your ability if you don't know all the things that are going on. So that's awesome. And and again, something I really appreciate about you. Um, <clears throat> I was curious about how important uh, primary care, the primary care aspect of everything ties into uh, sports medicine or even with your professionals. So like whether it's, again, your average Joe's or your pro, what aspect of primary care do you feel like maybe not is most important, but why do you think that like kind of having that general health and awareness of what's going on in that uh, health aspect is so important for the sports level? 
So, you know, from, from the standpoint of, uh, like working with our professional athletes, um, you know, I mean, these are, these are people with, you know, elite abilities, uh, you know, uh, they're, um, got some, uh, you know, can, can do some stuff that you and I can't for sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, we, you know, since we're not the orthopedist, you know, the orthopedist, obviously, if there's, you know, an ACL tear, um, you know, uh, uh, slap lesion, whatever sort of winds up happening, you know, broken bone things like, I mean, if something needs to be fixed, I mean, they're going to take care of it. I mean, we're going to help diagnose it. We're going to help care for that patient. But, um, but I think w- what I try to bring to the table there is, is, is kind of the human aspect. Um, you know, I mean, some of the guys, uh, you know, will actually come see me for physicals, flu shots, right? Um, if they have problems with, you know, their families or their kids, you know, um, they'll come to me or my wife. My wife actually has taken care of some of the professional players' kids before, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, kind of bringing them into the family, right? You know, um, giving them that support system, that caring structure that we all want and deserve, honestly. But yeah. um, so, so I think that, you know, being the primary care doc, we have that kind of more human reaction, I guess, or that more human ability to relate on on all of those levels, right? I mean, if they get sick, they get a sniffle. Um, obviously, this past year working with the, with the professional teams, you know, having to deal with COVID and COVID testing and, and tons of recommendations and protocols and regulations, um, you know, it's tough and it's really hard for them to kind of filter through what that means. And it's not easy on the trainers. It's definitely not easy on the coaches. And it's our job to kind of translate that in the, in the best way possible. But, you know, when you when you break that down to the, um, you know, even, you know, like the average Joe, like you and me, um, you know, you know, understanding the primary care component. Um, I just find that people really, really, really like to have that option where, yeah, they come to see you for their blood pressure and and, uh, you know, they just got some lab work recently or thyroid studies, but they're also like, Hey man, you know, this hamstring thing I've got going on is just kind of crushing me. And, and what's, you know, what should I be doing here? You know? And, and it's just that sort of added layer of, you've kind of already built a trust with that patient, which I think a lot of us take really seriously in regards to what that trust means and then what we can sort of help them out with on other fronts and long-term so, you know, they trust you to figure out the hamstring thing, mm-hmm. you know, the shin splint thing, the knee thing. Um, and if they need surgery, you know, we're the ones to tell them that sometimes too. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and you take the good with the bad. I mean, there, there's a lot of really great things that you get a chance to see people reach a lot of health goals. Um, you know, maybe somebody run their first marathon or do some really cool stuff. I had some mm-hmm. patients that uh, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro like three years ago. Um, they were a little older, kind of in their sixties and they kind of crushed some people that were, uh, a lot younger than them heading up the mountain. That's awesome. Um, you know, but some really neat stuff like that. Um, but you get the bad stuff as well too. Um, you know, uh, you know, having to tell somebody that, you know, that they have cancer or, or something that's, uh, that's going to lead to, you know, a long road something that's not going to be tough or that's not going to be easy. That's going to be tough. And that that's going to um, require more care 
more instruction, more guidance, you know? And, uh, and I sort of say the same thing to like my pro athletes and stuff that I do to my patient that I told that, that has cancer is I say, I'm not going anywhere, you know? Um, you know, I'm here, you got me. Uh, I'm going to go through this with you, you know? Um, if you need anything, you call me, you know, and, uh, and, and you got to kind of stand behind that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. How much do you feel like primary care is foundational to, um, you know, whether a person can perform, whether at any level or, or at a high level? Huge. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I mean, it's, you know, if you don't have your underlying baseline health, then what do you have, right? And that's even if somebody has a more complex issue, chronic fatigue syndrome, autoimmune issues, whatever it is, right? I mean, things that are really kind of nebulous and are really hard to navigate through. Uh, you got to know that this sort of underlying stuff is okay. You know, hey, man, your kidney function, your liver function is in line. We have the ability to be able to do this treatment or not. Um you know, but you got to be able to kind of, you know, pivot on a dime sometimes and say, you know, and understand where that goes. But, um, you know, the primary care aspect, um, you know, just having people coming in, getting their physicals and, and just doing the baseline stuff, getting their immunizations, right. um, you know, keeping them from getting sick so that they can run that marathon that they want to run and stuff. Right. Um, of course, it's paramount. It's, 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 it's the base of the whole thing for us. Yeah, that's great. You, um, with, with that, um, you know, you're talking about making sure that people's bodies are, are well enough to do these things. And, um, you know, obviously if they're not, you're, you're, you're treating them or recommending, you know, outside treatment for them. Um, I've heard it said, and that, you know, sometimes our, our, the current kind of system leans more towards sick care. Right. So yeah. you get sick, you go see a doctor, your doctor helps you get through that sickness. Um, you know, what types of things do you guys do for healthcare or well care, like to promote, um, you know, maybe not, I, I wouldn't expect you guys to get into kind of like biohacking and, and like, I like ultimate living or whatever, but just like, what do you guys sure. do to try and promote people to not only be like average, but like above average and help them, be, um, you know, as healthy of individuals as they can be. Right. And, and, and you're right. I mean, I think there's, um, and this is, I mean, man, you know, something like this between you and I could probably be a whole nother segment, right. About, you know, what are the inherent deficiencies in the current healthcare model and things like that? Um, you know, you can get as, you know, we'll keep it positive, kind of, kind of you know, existential medicine as you want to right. on that. But but no, I mean, I, I do have that concern all the time. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an online podcast presence, a guy named Z dog. I don't know if you've ever heard mm -hmm. of him before. Um, he's actually a doctor from, uh, or, uh, he used to be at Stanford. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to remember his name off the top of my head. It's Z dog is like his, his moniker, but, um, he kind of has this theory and this concept of what he called what used to be sort of health 1.0, which is where there was really no interference, right? It was doctors and patients and it was as raw as it got. And, and that was it. And then this sort of health 2.0 model where we've, you know, layered on a lot of things, you know, tons of specialists, lots of, you know, technology communication stuff, 
you know, people going in and out of the hospital transitions. I mean, stuff that I don't think that anybody ever would have thought would have been, you know, like, you know, 50 years ago, maybe. And then he talks about, you know, part of his, uh, his journey is such that he got pretty disgruntled in that model, but he was an amazing doc and had impeccable credentials. Everybody loved him. And, and I mean, he's this like really highly thought of guy, but he was like, man, I just, we're not getting through. Right. Mainly because he cared, right. He cared about what was going on. And so he came up with this kind of model and this theory of what he calls health 3.0, which is, uh, you know, where, you know, you still have the technology, you're not letting it rule your life, things like that. But, um, you know, from a primary care model, you know, looking at this as bringing the human element more back into it, right? Um, you know, doing these things, being able to do the screening tests, the labs, the immunizations, uh, a lot of the things like kind of in-house in one place where you're not getting, you know, you know, too many hands in the cookie jar, things like that, right? Because sometimes the more doctors you see, the more specialists you see, the more confusing things can get and the more aggravating I think patients can can be with their general care, right? And um, there's been a lot of pushback within the, the confines of medicine for the last probably couple of decades since sort of I was in training and everything that you know, shifting back to a primary care model in an effort to uh, incentivize, uh, you know, good, good, solid care, preventive care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, understanding how we screen, what can we screen, what are the correct actions to take, you know, where is the right referral to make, um, you know, when are you kind of being superfluous and, and, and where are things that maybe we don't need and it's not going to make a, a difference, but it does, it kind of puts things, that concept puts things right back at home, you know, kind of on us to say, um, you know, we got you covered, we got this thing and, and we're going to do everything we can to prevent it. And, um, and I think, you know, uh, from a theoretical standpoint in a very positive light, you know, that's how we want it to be. Right. Uh, medicine is even talking about going from, you know, fee for service over to, you know, quality based measures. And they've been talking about that for years now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that, I I mean, whether you like it or not, it's probably coming, but, um, but for those of us that do primary care, we're all about quality, you know? Um, and that's what we want. I mean, we want people to, you know, understand how to hedge things off at the past, how to reduce their cardiovascular risk, how to, you know, reduce their injury issues with their, if it's just purely for, you know, uh, sports medicine purposes, you know, musculoskeletal stuff. So, you know, just that general theory is something that's been sort of kicked around for a long time, but I mean, we're pushing it, we're pushing it hard and, 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 uh, I'd love to see it happen, come to fruition completely. Yeah. But, um, there's a lot of people out there that care about it. And I know that, and that makes me feel really good about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm all about trying to help, you know, kind of just push people in the right direction. That's kind of why I'm doing this podcast is just, you know, getting it out there that people, if they're having an issue with something, there's help out there, whether it is a primary care physician, whether it's a physical therapist, whether it's a nutritionist, um, you know, psychologists, you know, especially nowadays with, with all the things that people are going through. Um, yeah, it's definitely important to have that human 
element and that person that you can trust that, you know, you're going to trust what they say and, and not just think that they're kind of pushing you through the, through the, uh, you know, the cogs or the train or whatever. Um, yeah. we all deserve that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you feel like in kind of the general population might hold us back from that? Cause I feel like, you know, people, some people do want a specialist. Um, people do mm-hmm. want, you know, I mean, I, I've, you know, I've heard it tons of times where people are frustrated where they go see a hip doctor and they're like, Oh, we can't look at your knee. Sorry. You gotta go see the, the knee guy. And I know they get frustrated with that, but, um, you know, what, what about it is, is kind of making it this so like specific, but then also people want specific, I guess. I, I don't know if that's a question or not, or just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I see what you're talking about. And, and, and obviously we have people that come in and they're like, Hey man, you know, I, I want a referral for this. And, you know, and maybe I've already looked at their knee and I'm like, Hey, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, based off of your exam, you, you got some, you know, posterior medial meniscus issues. I mean, we can probably work through this a little bit, you know, maybe some therapy, some stuff like that. I don't know that you need to take that route yet. Right. You know, do you need the MRI? Do you not? Right. Um, that's an education thing uh, mm-hmm. as much as anything else. Um, I think a lot of the insurance structures now tend to possibly incentivize that a little bit more. Um, which yet again is probably another thing that you could have a whole nother segment on, but, um, but I do feel like the structure in and of itself, and that kind of goes back to, um, kind of this, that, that sort of health 2.0 model that I was talking about is that there's just, I mean, there's inherent inefficiencies there, you know, um, I'm all about efficiency in my life, you know, and, you know, at the clinic and folks that I work with, with, you know, with my kids, you know, I want, you know find a shortcut to be able to get the, pick them up quicker, stuff like that. You know, how can we get them to bed faster? Whatever it is, you want it to be more efficient, but, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but I mean, that's an educational process and, and, um, and it is, it's, 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 it's very prime in nature to the, to the, to the standpoint as to what we, I think we do in the way that we work with patients on kind of ground level. Right. Yeah is to educate them as much as we can. And, and, and there's programs out there right now. So, um, you know, joint commission has things like, you know, primary care medical home ratings and things like this, which are pretty intensive in regards to understanding how to coordinate staff models. You know, how do you integrate care between different specialists? Um, you know, what is your referral loops look like? How do you close the loops? Um, you know, what are the checkpoint safety things that you're doing within the clinic? I mean, all of these things. And if you get some of these certifications, they're the highest certification you can say, I'm at the highest certification that you can, but, um, but at the same time, I mean, I think it has to be a concerted effort. Right. um, From the ground level to to really educate. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like with all those efforts to try and not get, let that patient get lost in the shuffle um you know like you said referral loops and making sure that people are getting to the right people and following up and um you know and when i think ultimately what it comes down to is is do you care and then do you have you know again do you have the time to care as well um yeah yeah um unfortunately yeah in 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 some healthcare realms uh but again another another topic um so 
one thing that I did want to get into was discussing kind of some of the current events that are going on uh, when it comes to COVID-19, coronavirus, and kind of some of the things that people should know about and should kind of consider doing uh, when it comes sure. to their own family health. Um, you know, you have some children and, and what are you doing with your children to help them understand or and or kind of be safe, you know, when, when they're at you know, daycare or, or school, you know, what is what has it been that you've told them that they that keeps them safe as well? Um, so yeah, so, so what are some things that um, you usually help patients understand about it and kind of keep them well? Yeah. And so probably obviously one of the number one question things that we get right now, just even at regular physicals, you know, um, you know, what do you recommend? What, what do we do? Uh, ridiculous amount of conflicting information out there, which is really, really hard. Um, yeah. You know, from our perspective, we don't mind clarifying. That's not at all. Like, you know, I mean, that's our job. That's why we got into this. Right. Um, but, but it is, you kind of sit there and you're like, man, you kind of feel like sometimes you're sort of fighting a ghost on those things. But um, you know, my wife, you know, being a physician as well too. Um, so how do we live our family life? Um, well, I mean, you know, luckily we have a really strong family structure. Uh, I think I'm pretty blessed with that. Uh, healthy young kids, uh, be it that the wife and I both work, um, and see patients. Uh, and, and yes, we've seen, both of us have seen and, uh, swabbed, uh, you know, patients that wound up being COVID positive, uh, with the correct PPE on, you know, taking every precaution that we can, um, you worry about bringing that home. You worry about bringing that to your family. And that's that whole added level of stress. Uh, one thing that we've done specifically to, to kind of, it's become a staple in our lives, you know, right when we get home from work, um, you know, immediately to the shower, you know, you know, get out of the work clothes that could be possibly contaminated. Um, you know, wash what, you know, take a shower, get clean, go start there, you know, uh, you know, cleanliness is, is kind of one of those really, really big things here. Um, from the kid's standpoint, um, you know, I got one kid that's an, you know, that's, uh, my oldest daughter, she's school age. And so she probably knows a little bit more and understands a little bit more about what's going on. And she'll say things like that, right. You know, Hey, when the virus is over, Hey, daddy, the virus, this, that, right. I mean, she even plays with her dolls and puts masks on her dolls now and stuff. It's like yeah. that new normal, you know? Yeah. Um, it's the reality of our lives. And um, I'm not one of those people that, 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 you know, is necessarily trying to hide what's going on from my kids. Uh, I'm a doctor. It'd be pretty hard for me too, anyways. But, you know, but we want to let the kids know, like, you know, if we do, you know, go out to pick something up, if we do go to, to you know, an outside thing, you know, understanding the simple rules, right? I mean, and, and so, and that's the thing that I find incredibly positive and sort of wonderful is that, you know, my seven-year-old, she can understand it, right? You know, she can understand I've got to wear a mask. Like, hold on, daddy, my mask isn't on. I'm like, mm -hmm. great. Awesome. I love it. You know, well, daddy, where's your mask? Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> the stuff. It's like, you know, but she's, um, you know, that stuff is really, really, really cool to, 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 to see, you know, her understanding that the th things that she's doing are helping to keep her safe. 
mm-hmm. her family safe. I mean, my two year old is my two year old, mm-hmm. you know, she's a l- little different, you know, uh, in regards to the understanding, she's pretty wide open. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, she pretty much just want, wants to be close to us at some point in times, but, right. but you know, that extends to our extended family too, you know, the only times that we see the grandparents are outdoors, you know, um, you know, I find it incredibly important in this particular time. And with this kind of, I don't know, you want to call it like an infinity effect, right? When is it over? Right. When is it going to be over to allow some something human to happen right uh, but you got to take the right precautions and so it's one of those things that we get worried about in some of our older patients right is the seclusion right um that can lead to significant you know mood instabilities um sometimes maybe they're going to stop taking their medications they're going to stop taking care of themselves you know they feel like nobody cares they can't see their family they haven't seen their grandkids it's it, you know I mean, it's crushing them inside. There's a huge, you know, non-organic, you know, behavioral component to this that cannot be defined. And so, you know, we take the kids over to play in the front yard at, you know, the grandparents' house. Let them see them playing. You know, it's not just Zoom calls and stuff. But, um, you know, the education, I think, that that is uh, amazingly important during – a a very serious time medical time right now is such that, you know, the more that we can get people to understand why we want things done a certain way, um, the better off we're going to be. And I mean, there's plenty of numbers that you can go over time and time again, but, but I, I do find it important from the medical perspective that I don't think it's an appropriate or a, um, reasonable expectation that you're going to get a good response when you're barking orders at people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you shame them, you need to wear a mask, you need to do that, right? Right. I mean, you look at it and go, the evidence um, for wearing a mask is pretty much irrefutable from any reasonable source. Um, Yes, we want everybody to do it. And the evidence isn't just for other people, like what we talked about before, some of the most recent studies that have come out of the University of California, San Francisco, it's one of the, the, the uh, you know, sort of biggest research centers in the world, not just in the, uh, uh, the United States, um, talk about the, the use of masks as, you know, lowering the risk of not just, you know, passing the infection on to other people, but, um, but also lowering any dose. Uh, I mean, no mask is perfect. No mask is perfect. Um, But, you know, but, but, you know, lowering doses of, of, of virus that you get sort of controlling that. And so sometimes maybe people aren't going to get as sick as they normally would, you know, reduction of issues on the healthcare system. Um, They've even done studies in animal models. Uh, You can't do these in humans, right? You can't really like blow a dose of like a deadly virus into a human's face and say, Hey, how you feel? Um, not exactly kosher, no, but they do have animal models. They have done plenty of studies on multiple infectious disease, uh, um, you know, variants going back to like the thirties and forties, um, that shows a a lot of the things about reducing exposure and understanding the reduction of exposure in regards to helping to control, Mm -hmm. um, 
the overall effect on society and community. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the topics that we're talking about here, you know, they're not just about infection. They're about mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, people aren't used to being cooped up in their house. Pe- people are getting sick of it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I hear it all the time and they're like, we're sick of it. I don't want to do it. And, you know, as a doctor, I mean, we are too, <laughs> you know, I mean, we don't, uh, you know, the biggest problem is, is it is where we need to try even harder, probably, right. you know, it's where we need to educate even, even that little bit extra and care a little bit more to understand, you know, how is this thing passed? You know, what does that mean for your family and your community? How are we going to get schools back open again? We all want our kids in schools. I want my kids back in school so bad, yeah. man. Right. But I wanted to, I want everybody to be safe. Right. Yeah. Um, how do we do that effectively? And, and uh, you know, it's, um, but the stuff that we're doing as a family, I mean, I kind of got off on a tangent, I know, but um, the stuff we're doing as a family, I mean, you know, it's education for the kids, you know, it's understanding what it means for our extended family members. Um, you know, we obviously are probably even more conservative than most other families in regards to the things that we pick to do because um, I don't want to get sick. Sure. You know, I don't, I don't want to get this thing and, and it's, yeah. Not so much because I'm scared or anything or whatever. It's because I can't miss work. I want to be there for my patients. I want to be there, help them out. Um, You know, if they get it, if something else happens, I got to be around. And, um, and it's a conundrum for us just in general in medicine, but, um, but the simple things, right. It's the simple things of understanding the education and why you're doing things to protect your family, I think is a huge deal. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so tell, tell, tell the listeners and myself, I guess, some of the, you know, top information about this, you know, sure. you know, it's a, it's a droplet spread, right? It's, uh, there is a viral load, correct? Sure. Um, yep. you know, being outside reduces that as well as, you know, you can tell yep. me, if I'm, I'm, is there anything to do with being in the sun? um at all is there you know what what types of things um like that should people kind of understand so that they can kind of make the decisions like you said again this is this is the evidence here's what it says and what we should consider doing strongly so go ahead make your decision (laughs) yeah no i mean and when it comes down to the evidence on these things i mean you know Luckily, we're at a different point now than we were six or seven months ago. I mean, obviously, a lot of people noticed that, you know, when 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 this thing got out earlier this year, I mean, you know, medicine in general was caught kind of flat footed, you know. Um, I think a lot of us when we were in medical school, we were taught, you know, it wasn't a matter of if but when a pandemic was going to happen. you know, the most likely culprits were going to be respiratory diseases because of the way that they pass and the ease of pass that they have. Um, but I think the basics for, for people to understand, and, and there's pretty compelling evidence. So we've known for a while that this passes with respiratory droplets, right? So droplets are basically, you know, you know, I mean, kind of what it sounds like, right? They're, they're bigger pieces of, of, of mucus that, when you talk, cough, and sneeze spread, right? And so why is it that six feet thing? Well, that's about how far those droplets go before they fall to the ground. 
Then there's the concept of aerosol spread. And so aerosol spread is with much, much finer droplets, right? And uh, they can stay in a room for a longer period of time, right? Uh, they can stay aloft. They can get on other things. Um, and there's fairly good evidence that there's some, re some aerosol spread that's involved with this thing as well, too, not just respiratory droplets. So, um, you know, and, and I keep talking about things like evidence, right? And so, you know, science, we use the words like evidence and theory and all these things. And really, I mean, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to just get the information. We're trying to get something used in a usable format for people, for us, for people, you know? Um, but, uh, but we have pretty good idea that, that there is some aerosol transmission as well yeah. too. How long, um, that, and, how long does that take or last, I guess? Um, when it comes to, as you mentioned, if it lingers in the air or on a surface. So aerosol is probably a little more concerning for spread because it can get in the air and stay in the air, right? But they're finer droplets, so maybe not as much virus in those droplets. Um, and this is kind of where one of the one of the general recommendations really, really, really becomes a big deal. And that's understanding the value of being outside versus inside, right? Um, you know, for families that are cooped up and whatever, I'm telling them all the time, I'm like, get outside, go do something, you know, go take a bike ride, go, you know, go up to, you know, Shelly Lake or something like that. Don't get around a ton of people, right? Don't go to like, you know, like a, like a motorcycle rally or something in Myrtle Beach. But, <laughs> um, but you know, can you go to the, the, you know, the farmer's market or something? If you're taking all the right precautions and you're outside, the ventilation is there, that aerosol is going to spread out and your risk of exposure from that is going to be remarkably lower, remarkably lower, right? Right. If you're wearing a mask, it makes it an order of magnitude lower than that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I use a kind of a, um, a, a little bit of an analogy here with people when I'm uh, so like, if you're in, if you're in an enclosed room mm -hmm. and somebody's smoking over there, right. And you're in a closed room, uh, it's going to start to get bad right? You're going to start really smelling that. It's got nowhere else to go, right? It depends on the ventilation system, but it's got nowhere else to go. Outside is totally different, right? That person's smoking over there. You might not like it, but it's not going to be the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the concept behind sort of the aerosol thing, right? So um, some of the other sort of work on this, um, and part of what's also going into things like treatments and vaccines is understanding not just how to disrupt the actual infection cycle, but how are we going to find ways to make this less of a concern or less deadly, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you know, Dr. Fauci was sort of, you know, a long time ago, um, polarizing figure, but incredibly intelligent man and has been a public servant for over four decades, um, you know, talked about some stuff to begin with about the nature of this virus just being so interesting that it can make some people so sick that they're on a ventilator in the hospital and other people just seem to be fine. Right. right. What okay. is that? What is that virus? Right. And, um, and a lot of that can begun to sort of be explained with some of the newer work or newer study. Um, yet again, some of the stuff out of uh, UCSF in regards to understanding you know, the inoculum effect, you know, how much of a virus are you exposed to? Um, 
how much of a pathogen are you exposed to? And so limiting that exposure, which is where being outside as opposed right. to inside, <clears throat> wearing masks, right. washing your hands, socially distancing right. uh, is, is paramount. Yeah. And most of the recent data that's been coming out, there was a study that was released by the CDC, I guess a couple of weeks ago, which um, some people took it slightly out of context to say that 85% of people that wear masks um, still get coronavirus versus 89% of people that don't. And that's not what that study was looking at at all. That study was actually looking at uh, what are the, the things that they can tie together in regards to behavioral activities that, that look like there makes a difference. That's what that was looking at. And what they found was a large portion of the most recent positive results have been from things like eating at an indoor restaurant, mm -hmm. right? Or, you know, people are letting down their guard and attending family events and mm -hmm. having people over for dinner and stuff like that, which look, I mean, the whole world wants to do that. You know, we all want to do that right now, but yet, I mean, understanding the value of inside versus outside, it makes a massive difference here, but sure. you know, the people that, that, that went to that, that aided in an indoor restaurant were greater than 50% higher likelihood to get COVID. Right. Um, you just, I mean, you can't wear a mask when you eat. And I think people, when they're at a restaurant, um, you know, necessarily to no fault of their own, they're just eating, right. They're yeah. not doing anything that they think is inherently wrong or yeah. evil. I mean, a lot of the rules say that if you're sitting with your spouse or group that you can take your mask off, but if you're up and moving around, it's on. I mean, those are a lot of the rules that you see in here. And, and that's right. Again, but I mean, in, in, in reality, I mean, if you're sitting at the table, I mean, you know, if you're like I am when I eat dinner, you know, I'm talking to my kids, I'm talking to my wife, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm eating between that as well too, but we're having a whole conversation. We're doing the whole thing. And, and, and I don't have a mask on. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, um, that is an exposure risk. Right. Um, yeah. so, um, as well. just... and, yeah. And so, and so when you look at it and, 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 you know, and, and it's something that, um, it kind of pains me for the, for the restaurant industry, right? Because I'm a big fan of trying to get the economy back to, to, you know, where it needs to be for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like that's going to do a lot to help with, uh, the general health and wellness of kind of what people are, are, are dealing with stress wise as well too. some of those things. But, uh, but you know, but that's just sort of the, the reality is the yeah. situation and that's what the evidence is showing. And so understanding what these mean, these things mean without the misinformation is probably the hardest part of our job, but yeah. it's our job to try to, you know, under, get people to understand what those things mean. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not mad at people that go, <laughs> that go to the restaurant and don't wear masks. There's no point. That's, that's just ridiculous. But I do want them to know that there's an inherent risk by doing that. You know, it's a, that, that, that there, there's a risk that they might not completely understand by doing yeah. that. I and, love, um, yeah, with, with what you're saying about being indoors and be, you know, I really enjoyed that smoking analogy being in a room with someone who's smoking uh and and it makes me i'd love to get your confirmation about a, a different type of analogy for the same thing it's 
sure. when it comes to the aerosol droplets, and as you mentioned, there's less, maybe potentially less virus in those smaller droplets. Um, sure. And so it's the difference between maybe smelling the smoke, which would be just being exposed to those droplets. So sure. the less the less droplets, the less kind of it affects your breathing. You just kind of smell it. Uh, and then the more that you're exposed to it, the aerosols, um, the viral mm -hmm. load, if you will, um, for a longer time, the longer you're exposed to someone smoking in that same room, you may begin to start coughing. And so yep. that type of level of, of, so again, so when you first get that smoke, you smell it, you're like, hmm, so that's kind of just if we walk into a room and it's there. And then there's, if we're in a room for an extended period of time with someone just breathing, talking, um, that would get to a point where it's, that room is starting to fill up and, and you kind of, you huff a little bit, maybe cough a little bit. Would you say that that's somewhat accurate? I, I think that, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a much more, uh, or like a, 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 probably a less medical, you know, a better way to say it than I said it maybe. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think that's exactly what it is, man. Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. What, um, yeah. So, so you, you, I was going to ask about affecting some, but not others. And it sounds like you're kind of, um, it's, it's still being determined, right? There was a, yeah. And that's something that that's another thing for us to try to get people to understand is there's so many things that are still in flux here, right? I mean, we're yeah, still, we're still contagious. finding out so much more, you know, when is it contagious? Is it contagious with, uh, symptoms or not with symptoms? And so we do know that people that are asymptomatic, um, and these typically tend to be younger folks, right? Really, really healthy folks without any underlying condition, possibly exposed to a lower viral load in general. Um, yeah, they are infectious for some period of time, but that hasn't been worked out yet. Um, you know, uh, um, I think, I think it is really hard. I mean, you know, like when we take something like, like the, um, you know, like influenza, right. I mean, we have decades of experience with influenza right. centuries really, but decades under really good scientific medical study. And it's taken us that long to figure out exactly what this means for those things. We just aren't there yet with this thing. And, right. and, uh, and it, I mean, we're going to get better. It's right. going to happen, you know, and, you know, those of us in medicine and, and, you know, the people that are a heck of a lot smarter than me doing research yeah, are going to find out so much more, right. right? Like as months go on and everything, but um, I'm very optimistic about the fact that, you know, this is not something that's going to last in perpetuity, right? right. This isn't like, you know, we're not, this isn't like, you know, the new, you know, I do think masks at one point at, at one point in time in the, in the future are going to be something that is more of, of, of maybe an optional thing. I mean, I, I think a lot of people think it's optional now, but um, doctors would say it's an optional thing um, in regards to, you know, guidelines or mandates or whatever. But um, I mean, I have a lot of faith in the fact that sort of knowing where we've had, Right. Uh, we've already come and what we've been able to do in the past in regards to a lot of really smart people getting this work done that we are going to come to an end at some point in time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we're going to have more knowledge about this, but it is going to take time. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, people are going to get sick of it. And, and I am too, and you are too. And, 
you know, our kids are and everybody's going to. And, um, but, but, you know, no matter what, I, I mean, you know, people are still working on this thing really, really, really hard and we're not going to rest until it's done. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not like doomsday about it. I'm definitely more positive about, Hey, this thing is going to be overcome. Yeah. It's going to be something that is going to be a thing of the past eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I'm with you with that. I think, you know, something's going to, it's, it's going to come to whether it's a vaccine or uh, again, mm-hmm. learning, learning more and understanding it more, you know, and how it's transmitted so that we can better take precautions. Uh, even, you know, making sure that we're yeah. getting the right information and, and correct information and good uh, education on it. And, and, you know, eventually uh, at some point it'll either be, you know, where if you're sick, wear a mask or, you know, all that stuff eventually, you know, but um, yeah. So, Oh yeah. Thanks. thanks Completely agree. That. Yeah. Thanks for all that. When it, uh, one more, one more kind of doctor question and then a tiny bit about you before we finish up. Um, when it comes to our current time and what we're going through, how much more have you had to help people um, accept and help people get help with their mental health? So this is a big concern of ours, especially in primary care. Um, I think that the amount of appointments that we're having for anxiety, stress, depression, insomnia, those types of things are, are skyrocketing right now. We've always had those appointments. We've always been on the front line of those things in primary care, but, um, but I think it's an expected thing. And I also feel like it, that, you know, it is part of our job as primary care physicians to, to try to make sense of that for people. Um, but like I said, I mean, you know, kind of do it in the way of, you know, educating people, Hey, you can still do something. There's just, just, you know, you don't have to be, you know, in this particular light, you, there's some, there's a few more freedoms that you probably can allow yourself, um, that are safe, you know, um, and, and that you're still going to be fine. Um, but yeah, we're seeing a lot more of that. Um, you know, I've got a, f- a few other friends, you know, in the, you know, in the biz, I guess you will, like in medicine that, um, or, you know, therapy, um, got a pharmacologist friend of mine that we, we talk about this stuff regularly, right? Um, mental health and well-being is, is something that this country has needed to face down harder for a really long time, right? And, uh, in my experience and everything, not just with COVID, I've seen it with our, with our military personnel, with, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, new mothers, uh, you know, retirees, there's so many different subsets of the population, you know, minorities, whatever, that, um, that you have to look, look at this stuff and listen. And so, um, you know, this is kind of one of those plugs that I would use for, uh, you know, if there is a problem, if there's something that's going on that you're not handling well, um, if you feel like you're having to self-medicate with alcohol or you're having to, um, you know, and, and, and sometimes, you know, I've had patients that have come in and and they feel bad, right. That they've done that. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of looking at them going, you know, this is a weird time. It's 2020, you know, um, let's start, let's get to work. Let's help you out. You can get, you can, you know, you don't have to be that way. You don't have to accept 
that, you know, depression and anxiety and sort of low place. There's people that care. There's people that are going to understand and that are not going to judge you, that are not going to um, put you into a lower place, you know. Um, you know, we're, we're there to pick you up and, uh, and, and we all go through times, you know, I mean, it's stupid of anybody of us to, to deny that we don't go through times where maybe it is harder for us. Right. Um, you know, burnout and some of those things as well too, but I urge anybody that is having issues, um, with dealing with, uh, you know, isolation or stress, anxiety, depression, or anything to reach out, talk to your primary care physician. You know, if you, if you need to get, um, you know, a counselor or a therapist involved, um, we do that, you know, that's, that, that's something that, um, that I can't urge people enough to do. I think it's, uh, it's a huge part of this, this concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think that's, vital uh now and and yeah like you said people are are you know self-medicating with all sorts of different things and you know handling it in different ways and and if they could just if they, if they have someone to trust and someone to be open with and uh, yeah help it, it's 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 paramount yeah and some people are having more overuse injuries too because they're self-medicating with running and cycling right. and those things. Right. So, right. Right. so it's like, Hey man, I get where you're coming from, but we got to get this back too. All right. We've yeah. got to, this has got to be healthy for you, man. That's right. There you go. I like that. Yep. You're exactly right. Yeah. It could be anything. It could be, like you said, alcohol could be exercise, could be food, could be, you know, yeah. Just wanting to be alone anything, any, any way, you know, social media, you know, going, being on your phone for extended periods of time because you, oh, yeah. you know, cause that's what people, they're, that's a form of addiction. So, um, absolutely. so yeah, so it's, it's, it's huge. Um, all right, well let's, let's turn it around. Um, let's talk a little bit about you and, uh, you know, we've, we've touched on a bunch of different things and, and how you care for people and the things that you enjoy about your job. Um, you know, tell me just, you know, I want to learn a little bit about you. What, what are three things besides your family, friend and friends and your career are you passionate about? Um, I am, uh, passionate about playing, uh, playing guitar. Uh, I've always, I've always, uh, been a musician at heart. (laughs) Um, uh, grew up playing piano. My, my mom had me take piano for like six years or whatever when I was younger um, and then I picked up guitar in high school and, uh, um, my wife would probably tell you, I have a little bit of an addiction when it comes to having guitars and those things. Yeah, um, that's cool. uh, I should play them more often because it is one of my forms of, you yes. know, therapy. Yeah. Uh, the kids love it. Yeah. Um, so that, um, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I've become a really big golfer, uh, especially cool. with the socially distanced nature. Um, I love getting out, um, and, and, and being, you know, outside fresh air, um, you know, beautiful environment around me. Uh, there's something very cathartic about that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think other than that, um, I mean, my wife and I, you know, we like to cook. We like to do stuff. That's something that I, that we should probably do more of. We we used to do that a lot when we were uh, first getting together. Um, uh, I think the year that she and I were engaged, we had a spectacular time. Uh, you know, cooking different things, coming up with different recipes, stuff like that. 
Yeah. Uh, and so it's some things that I miss. My wife definitely does it with the kids now. You know, they, awesome. you know, bake caves and apple pie recently. That was amazing. So love it. Nice. Cool. Very cool. I like it. Um, if you could be an animal, what animal would you be? Man, you're going to hit me with that one, huh? I know. I got some sneaky ones in here that I didn't tell you about. So um, my seven-year-old made me take a uh, National Geographic uh, quiz about which animal you should be last night, and it said I was a sloth. <laughs> so I'll, I'll stick with the sloth, okay? <laughs> That's um, and it wasn't like in a bad way. It ha- I wish I had it in sitting in front of me, but it was one of those things where it was like, you know, you're more relaxed, you're more chill, <laughs> you take things kind of – you know, as they come and yep. that type of thing. Uh, not so much like, you know, Hey, you are, you know, super slow, no good and do nothing. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of things. So well, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, all right. What is, if you, if you eat it, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Ice cream flavor, butter pecan. Ooh, that's a good one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. By a long shot. Yeah. You got to try the Bluebell one if you haven't already. Um, uh, actually, at Two Roosters, they have a really good one when it's in season two. Yeah. Yep. Right around the corner. So lo- local ice cream. I'll check that out. It's a yeah. plug. That's right. You know, no, no money, just a plug. I was say, are they, fun- are they uh, paying? <laughs> no. I don't know. Maybe I'll get a t-shirt out of it. I don't go. know. <laughs> t-shirt or a free cup, right? There you go. Cool. Uh, what? So what are three books that you enjoy recommending or gifting? So... Um, I've always been a really big fan of autobiographies. Um, uh, I will admit that I don't always read for pleasure. I think most of the reading that I do is academic. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people that I've probably read more text textbooks in my life than I'd like to admit to anybody. Um, so, uh, I, I read, you know, newspapers, magazines and stuff all the time. I mean, but you know, Uh, My wife is a huge reader, um, but I've always been a big fan of autobiographies. I just enjoy sort of, um, you know, understanding and that, and that doesn't matter. There's a lot of different autobiographies that I've read that are are, are pretty amazing. Um, uh, It's not an autobiography, but there was a biography about Nelson Mandela um, that was pretty amazing that I read. Um, You know, growing up, I mean, you know, some of the simple books, things like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird bird some of those types of, of ones right there um and for anybody that's got kids the number the number three book in the book that i highly recommend to anybody with kids is uh, a sandra boynton book called the belly button book it is a must-have for any 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 father or mother out there the belly button book it's called the belly button book yeah, I've almost got it memorized. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, you know, scare you with it right now. But okay. it's by Sandra Boynton, amazing child, child, kids book writer, amazing. Okay, I'll check it out. I felt like you were talking to me with that one. The belly button book. Our daughter does enjoy. I think last month or the month before, her favorite book was Where Is My Belly Button. So, hey man, everybody, everybody wins. That might be, that might be her upper alley. All right, cool. And then. Um, what if you were to have a billboard on busy highway around here, I forty, you know, I forty or five forty or four forty, and thousands of people saw it every day? What would you write on it? I care. Cool. 
I like it. I like it. It's important for people to hear. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, you know, I, I know, I know, I know your podcast is about. Well, I, mean, I, I I'm very happy that you're doing this, Bill. I mean, I think this is awesome. I know I screwed your name up at the beginning. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I know you people know are probably going to make fun of that, but whatever. So, <laughs> um, awkward. they'll be like, oh, he doesn't really know that guy, and they'll be yeah. like, right all the way at the end, they'll be like, oh yeah, he does know him. Okay. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. But uh, but no, I mean, you know, uh, you know, we got to keep it together. I mean, we're we got to we got to stick through this. Right. Um, I'm in it to win it. I want everybody else to be too. And if they need help, ask for it, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. All right. If there, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, whether they have questions about COVID, whether they have questions about sports medicine, whether they want to switch to you or your practice as primary care, um, you know, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you and, um, you know, pick your mind or, or, just talk. Uh, so, I mean, our, our, our practice, um, I, I'm proud to say that it, all the docs that I work with, I have a, a very large respect for. And so if anybody is looking for a good primary care doctor, um, at Carolina Family Practice and Sports Medicine, we have locations in Raleigh, Cary and Holly Springs. Right. Our Holly Springs location is, is, is pretty bomb, to be honest with you. I've, I've been out there. The office is kind of futuristic, sort of Star Trek-like. Uh, you like wave your hand, the doors open. It's amazing. The docs out there are just absolutely amazing. I mean, they're yeah. good people, good hearts. They care. Um, uh, and so our phone number for, for the office, if you're looking to make an appointment or looking to get a, a new doc is uh, 919-238-2000. Uh, feel free to, you know, we have our website, cfpsm.com. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of different, you know, health topics and stuff like that on there. We do run the Carolina Sports Concussion Clinic as well, too. Um, something that we've been doing for, man, 12 years now. Uh, we've been yeah, working in research with UNC for a long time. That's um, so obviously kind of a niche, kind of a thing that we do. We have a, a subspecialty in concussion care. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, whether, whether it's with us or with, with anybody, um, I have a lot of friends that are, um, that are amazing docs in this area, people that I either trained with or went to med school with, or have had the good fortune to, to come across just in the context of my career. And, uh, we're lucky in this area. You know, we are a lot of really, really good folks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time again. Thank you, uh, for, you know, giving everybody this awesome information, whether it's on coronavirus or just general health. Uh, I hope it helps at least one person, if not many. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, thank My pleasure, you. bud. Yeah, thank you. Uh, everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. And for now, be well and thrive. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I would love to hear from you on who else needs to be heard and highlighted in the Triangle area. For ways to reach out with questions, recommendations, or comments, please see the show notes. But for now, be well and thrive.